Hey, hey, welcome into the Big Ten Huddle. I'm your host, JR, and we have got a lot going on in the Big Ten news sphere. Not a whole lot of ball being played, obviously. Bowl season is over. Michigan are the national champs. Yes, that did pay me to say a little bit, but I feel like Ohio State's having a really good offseason. So, you know, that, that's how I will deal with all of that going on. Uh, of course, I have with me again this month Justin Adams from uh, The Voice of College Football, all that stuff, the Big Ten show going on over there for Nebraska, and our special guest, Jeffrey the Greek from the Eyes on Big podcast. I'm going to let these guys introduce themselves, tell you where they can fi- you can find them at. Justin, why don't you hit us off? Yeah, um, so you can find, like you said, I, I'm over at the uh, Nebraska football at the Voice of College Football. Um, you can find us over there if you're if you're a Husker fan. We got everything you need there. Um, if you're just a fan of Big Ten in general or teams of the Big Ten and want more of a Big Ten angle, you know, kind of uh, you know, very similar to this this kind of structure. Um, we do uh, video recordings though, um, as opposed to live streams for the most part. And, uh, so you can go on there and you know see if uh, we do a little bit on each team breaking news, and we're gonna we have some uh, team previews and good off-season content coming so yeah for sure justin does great work over there with our guy sunny a little bit of a different thing but they still cover a lot of the same content but i love the way they cover it too kind of go at it different ways we're all big 10 guys here uh and i think the more big 10 media we have the better so go check out justin there uh jeffrey why don't you introduce introduce yourself tell people where they can find you at Yep, I am Jeffrey the Greek uh, on Twitter. Uh, look me up. I typically follow back unless you're crazy. Uh, and then the podcast is the Eyes on Big Podcast. Been around for, I think, six years now. We focus on, well, it's always been all uh, 14 teams, but very soon going to be all 18 teams. So we try to break it up as equally as we can. Um, I got the Iowa logo by my uh, name, you know, here. Uh, definitely an Iowa fan, but... I try to follow every one of these teams as much as I can. Uh, Jordan uh, was my JW Angleston on Twitter. He was my co-host this year. I think you've had him on a couple different times. Michigan fan, so that worked out perfectly for him. He was on all season and got to break down 15 consecutive wins (laughs) all the way to the national championship, so good for him. And then my typical uh, co-host, Big Kurt, He'll be back on every now and then, you know, as kind of schedule permits. He's the OG along with me for the podcast. So come on in. We have a ton of fun on the podcast and, and on Twitter. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've had Kurt and Jordan on, and they're both great. Like I said, the more Big Ten media we have out there, the better. Uh, all different kind of shows here for for you to enjoy. So um, speaking of the show, if you don't mind, please do like and subscribe. We appreciate that. And uh, also, if you're listening on podcast, go ahead and subscribe over there. Leave us a rating and review. That also helps out the podcast as well. We greatly appreciate that. And also, uh, we are brought to you by Big Banter Sports, BigBanterSports.com. This podcast is brought to you by Big Banter sports.com where you can find a podcast for every team uh like i said big 10 media want to get it out there want to get it going as much as we possibly can helps the conference helps the fan bases brings us together a little bit even if fan bases hate each other it's fine we're together a little bit so it works out i say that with a nebraska fan on one side or nebraska fan on one side and iowa fan on the other side so it's all good good. you gotta separate it so yeah be fine we won't won't fight there we go all right let's get into our first topic Shout out to Scott in the comments, though. We got to go big red already. So, oh, did we? There we go. Yeah. I forgot to read them. GBR and uh, Ocho also. Is that OC? Like, oh, is he referencing the, um, I don't know, John Diatomos? Might, might be referencing that over on, uh, yeah, might be, might be the John Diatomo show over there on the Big yeah. Ten. Uh, I'll be on there next week. Yeah. Next John Monday. Does so. Great work over there. We had him on last week. So, great stuff. All right. Let's get into our first topic. 
Ohio State has had a big offseason so far. The addition of Caleb Downs being one of the largest ones. Also, Will Howard, uh, Seth McLaughlin from Alabama, Julian Sain is another quarterback, but of course he's much younger than Will Howard, so he's probably more of a depth add. They've also added uh, Quinshawn Judkins, the star running back from Ole Miss. Many people are not only calling him the best uh, transfer portal quarterback, but also the best running back in the nation, or at least one of them. So uh, a lot of things going right for Ohio State. And in the midst of all of that, Ryan Day has done something he's never done before, which is hire somebody to be the offensive coordinator that he intends to give play calling hmm. over to. So we'll see if that is actually going to happen. But that has been what the rumor is, is that Bill O'Brien, the former Alabama offensive coordinator, Patriots offensive coordinator, Texans head coach, Penn State head coach, Georgia Tech dude uh i'm probably missing something there but he has a long list of many places that he's been and uh honestly it's just kind of crazy to see what's going on with ohio state not only that but they've also brought back many of their uh players that could have gone to the draft guys like marvin harrison jr and <clears throat> marvin harrison jr and mike hall moved on but guys like jt tulamolawal it's coming back travion henderson is coming back Omeka Ibuka is coming back so there's a lot of hype for these ohio state buckeyes right now but uh, Justin, I have to start with you. Of these additions, the Caleb Downs, Will Howard, guys like that that I mentioned, which one of these additions or these moves do you think will be most impactful for the Buckeyes next season? Um, I Personally, I think Caleb Downs. Um, I think what Caleb Downs was able to do this year was absolutely absurd, and, and he's only going to get better and better. And just having a guy like him to kind of you know be on that outside and really kind of lock that down is is so big for the rest of the defense to be able to do their jobs individually and not have to make up slack you know elsewhere so just having having a lockdown guy like that first off it's hard hard to find um you know having having a, a big time safety out there and somebody who's going to like i said take pressure off of the rest of the guys but he, you know he's very versatile and and what he can do and and um i just i'm i'm curious to see how he develops because you know it's hard to think of him being any better than he was last year but um, I know Quinchon Judkins would be probably the easy choice, but you know, Travion Henderson comes back. So that's going to be kind of a, a, you know, I, I don't feel like the drop off, um, if it was just Travion would be crazy. I know Quinchon Judkins makes it a two headed monster. That's going to be, you know, very, very difficult to stop. But I, I think, I think, you know, Caleb Downs is going to make a, a huge impact immediately and in the future. And, and, uh, yeah, man, it, I can't understand how, how big it is to have a guy like him on the defense. Yeah, especially filling the the safety hole that they had. They were going to most likely be starting a sophomore, a true sophomore in that spot this coming season, or Sonny Styles, who looks to be growing into much more of a linebacker, kind of uh, you know playing closer to the defensive line uh, type of body. So that might not have fit him as well with safety staying back there. So it's going to be interesting to see how uh, how he assimilates into that position. Jeffrey, what are your thoughts on the most impactful transfers for Ohio State next year? Yeah, I mean, not to uh, downplay Caleb Downs, uh, pardon the pun, at all, because that's that's a great addition. But the defense was already going to be elite. Uh, it already was last year. So, you know, if it's a Madden rating, it went from an, a 98 to a 99, you know, or yeah. 97 to a 98. So I don't know if it makes that big of a difference, but it's certainly, you know, depth. And, and you know, again, it's a big deal. To me, the biggest addition is, is Bill O'Brien. And I, I guess a combination of Bill O'Brien and Will Howard, if you look at the games last year that 
that were closer or they lost, which is Penn State, Michigan, and the bowl game. Now, I know the bowl game was, you know, all sorts of craziness for who could actually play, but it was actually the offense, shockingly enough, that came up short for Ohio State to get to where they want to go. I think Bill O'Brien, from what I've heard, he's already walked in and made quite an impression on the other coaches, the offensive players. I think they needed a centralized voice that wasn't Ryan Day, um, you know, as far as as um, uh, w- wide receiver coach. Oh, my gosh, I'm having a brain fart Brian here Hartline. for Hartline. He's not a play caller, okay? Like, he might help out with the play designs and input on the offense. So, you know, that was that title was kind of title only. I don't think he was actually calling plays. Bill O'Brien is going to call plays. I was shocked to see. I guess I shouldn't be shocked. It's Twitter. But people upset that Bill O'Brien was was the guy that was tabbed. I mean, what are you expecting to get out of, you know, like, that's a great addition. Bill O'Brien knows what he's doing. I mean, he, he was good enough for Nick Saban. Very recently, I, I feel like he, he's going to do a good job. Now, it's going to be interesting to see how the quarterback shakes out. If I'm making predictions, I think Will Howard is the starter this year. I think the writing is on the wall for Brown and Aaron Nolan, because from what I've read that uh, with Julian saying that was the quarterback they wanted all along. Now that they got him back, I don't think that bodes well for Aaron Nolan. So my prediction is, Number one next year will be Will Howard. Number two will be Julian Sand with Kleinholtz kind of holding the happy to be here third guy place card with the other two guys getting out of there. So there's my there's my big Ohio State quarterback prediction right there. So how will Bill O'Brien fit, you know, initially Will Howard in, but then Julian Saint also in? You know, is it a platoon thing kind of like we saw? Sorry to use this, but with Michigan, you know, uh, two years ago, uh, when they brought J.J. McCarthy along. It's going to be interesting to see how that goes, but you need a strong voice in the room to lead the offense to do that, and there ain't nobody that's more confident in himself and has a strong voice than Bill O'Brien. Yeah, for sure, and I I was on a, an Ohio State podcast talking about some of the Bill O'Brien stuff, and I was even surprised that you know uh, the, the host of the podcast himself said this was a disaster hire, that this was a bad hire, and he, he was not happy with it at all. The other guy was a, little, was a little bit better on the hire, but he still wasn't exactly happy with it, and I just, my, my question was, who did you want, right? I mean, sure, Joe Brady would be awesome. But Joe Brady has had a fantastic year with the Bills. I don't, I don't think that was happening unless Ohio State just really got the checkbook out there and uh, was able to contend with some uh, NFL offensive coordinator jobs. Uh, if you ask me, and, and Justin, I know that you have probably more experience with Bill Bryan than any of us. As he, yeah, the, uh, I'm going to play devil's Texas. advocate a little bit. Okay, all right, go ahead. Go ahead before I get started. Just, you know, Bill O'Brien, okay, the the thing with him, and and yes, I do have a large sour taste in my mouth because he ran the Texans into the ground, essentially. Um, you know, as the GM, course, though. Yeah. Well, you know, things weren't growing great as as a coach, and he was on his last leg there, and that's why they gave him the general manager role. They're like, here, we're gonna let you handle everything, and that's gonna be your sink or swim year. And so my thing about Bill O'Brien is you know, we we look at his resume and the places he's been, um, and, and I get in this situation, right? Like he's a he's a big name to get, especially as an OC with his experience. But what really has he done 
in recent years that gets people excited about him. You know, Alabama had, you know, a, a good season last year, but but somewhat in terms of like their offense, you know, it wasn't necessarily as prolific as as in years past. So what what has he really done? You know, Penn State, you know, he was known as kind of he's kind of known as this quarterback guru, but he really hasn't done much to develop any quarterbacks in, in recent memory. And, and I don't really know what's on his resume recently that that really gets people extremely excited about Bill O'Brien. Jeffrey, you look like you want to say something. What do you I, got? I would say look at the stats when he was at Alabama. I, the offense wasn't the problem. Um, and then I would it wasn't say. Problem, as, but I don't think it was it, a, it, it was improved uh, like because of him. I think they just I, have I just. Re- Go ahead, sorry. Sure, sure. Well, they're going to have talent at Ohio State, too. So we're, yeah. we're in luck with Bill O'Brien. Well, I mean, so he's going to be fine there. I'm thinking of what he brings to them that, you know, and besides one year at Alabama, what has he done in the lead up to that even? I thought he was great at Penn State. The the situation, which is in the Big Ten, the, the situation that he took over in Penn State, I, I thought Penn State was going to crater horribly i did not i mean it it was incredible what he did at penn state yeah i I mean i think we're going all the way back to christian hackenberg stuff maybe christian hackenberg just wasn't good you know so like you know that 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 very much could be what happened there i mean sometimes you know you you just can't mold the clay into what you want it to be um as far as the texans there were good times in the texans for a while and then things went off kilter for sure but i don't know it's just you as a Nebraska fan better hope that you're not using NFL success and playing that into college. Cause I don't, I, I, I don't, I didn't add, didn't think about that at all for Matt rule for how disastrous it was in Carolina. Right. I, I don't, I look at what he did in his two college stints, which was very impressive and how that applies way more at Nebraska than, than the, than the Carolina Panthers. I would say the same thing about Bill O'Brien. So he was the head coach. Now he is just the offensive coordinator. Also, he has Ryan Day sitting there. Who knows a thing or two about speaking, developing quarterbacks, and and you know calling plays. So like the two of them together is something that you have to bring into this. Yet letting Ryan Day take more of a CEO role, which he will do. But to think Ryan Day isn't going to have imprints on this offense and a say to help things out. We we know that's not going to be the case, and I agree. There's a there's a reason I put the recent memory on there because Penn State is what everybody points to. You know, even Texans fans when he was coming over is Penn State this, Penn State that. It's just what has he done since, and 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 you know just just what what he did at Alabama. Like nothing again, nothing really jumps off the page that he did, and nothing that he's done really in the lead up to that job has shown that he's really good at this thing. You know, this one particular thing, again, he was really much, you know, known as the QB guru. That's what, that's what, when, when he came over to the Texans, that's one of the things that, that was coined about him is he's just this big, good, you know, good, great with QBs, you know, it is Sean Watson over there. And um, yeah. And I agree the Penn state, what he did at Penn state was absolutely you know, tremendous. And again, I, I think a lot of this might be sour grapes from as a Texans fan, but you know, um, was curious your curious your thoughts on it. But just want to play devil's advocate of there a little bit with the Bill O'Brien stuff. Um, overall, though, I, I you know I don't think it negatively impacts Ohio State at all. But I just I, I guess I don't get the Bill O'Brien love as much. 
I mean, I don't love the guy. I think he's a gigantic a-hole. It's, it's yeah, everything that I've ever heard from him. So it's going to be interesting to see how that fits in with the staff. Uh, but yeah. something tells me him and Ryan Day have come to some sort of agreement with, with that type of stuff. There were rare reports that he sabotaged the Texans there at the end to get out and get to <laughs> New England. So I, I think Bill O'Brien's number one thing is Bill O'Brien. That's that's for sure. Yep. Probably true. Um my 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 highlights of things that I like about Bill O'Brien, and I'll just go through them because I've tried to have Twitter discussions and um I tried to have an intellectual discussion on Twitter a few times about Good this luck. and that's always a, a terrible decision. But I <laughs> sue me, I had faith in Twitter for a second. Um but here here's what I have to say, okay? Every single quarterback that Bill O'Brien worked with, you could argue they had their best season in their career under Bill O'Brien. Bryce Young had two years at Alabama. Yes, he's young. Yes, he just went to the NFL. But still, his two best seasons, he won a Heisman Trophy at Alabama. Matt McGloin at Penn State had his best season by far under Bill O'Brien at Penn State. Christian Hackenberg, as a freshman, had his best season of his career at Penn State. Again, as a freshman, had his best year under Bill O'Brien. Deshaun Watson was great. Under Bill O'Brien with the Browns. He Sean has Watson been horrible. Who? Well, Deshaun Watson was great until he turned to the POS, but well, but but I'm saying since he got to the Browns, I, I probably not horrible and probably a little sour grapes there. Some but things not, have happened since. Yeah, he has not lived up to his contract. Might we can say that at the very least. Yeah. Um Brian Hoyer. He had a very good year under Brian Hoyer. Or uh, Brian Hoyer had a very good year under Bill O'Brien, Ryan Fitzpatrick. That was when he had some of his his magic, not his you know Fitz magic season or whatever, but some of his magic started to begin when he was under Bill O'Brien. Brock Osweiler, he turned him into a very competent quarterback. And then here's some here's for a year he was competent under Bill O'Brien for a year. Yeah, I don't know if he turned him into one. Maybe for one season, but yeah. Well, that's I I give you no. I'm I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, 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 for you for a year. Um, and then here I have some stats about Tom Brady. You ready for this? Okay. <clears throat> His year where he had Tom Brady in what was it? 2011, right before he went to Penn state, he had 5,235 passing yards that year. That was the most Tom Brady ever had as the Patriots quarterback, 39 passing touchdowns, the most ever as a Patriots quarterback, 8.6 <laughs> yards per attempt, Look at his that. highest of his career, 13.1. I'm going to give, I'm going to give us a, a hard assist to Randy Moss here. I just want to say, yeah, that was about to say, look, that, at, look, at the receiver yeah. core. look at the receiver core that year, <laughs> but was Bill O'Brien there? That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's like one of those things where it's like, where it's like, you know, Hey, we almost got into a car crash, but did you get into a car crash? No, <laughs> uh, and then finally 327 yards per game. Highest of his career. Yes, I understand. Randy Moss was there, and that makes it a big impact. But that then leads into my next point, which is whenever Bill O'Brien has had a good wide receiver there, which I don't think anybody's arguing that Ohio State doesn't have good good receivers, he has always done very well. Allen Robinson at Penn State, DeAndre Hopkins. uh, They even had Andre Johnson for a year in 2014. So, So he needs a receiver to be successful. He needs he needs somebody who can coach receivers. I don't think Bill O'Brien can coach receivers. I watch those Alabama receivers. I and Holloman Wiggins was not doing good enough work, and Bill O'Brien sure wasn't either. Because those receivers, I don't even think they knew what their routes were. Sometimes, yeah. um, I'm not, and I'm not 
I don't think I'm being over-exaggerated there. I, I legitimately don't know if they knew the timing in their routes sometimes when they were at Alabama. Go ahead, Justin. No, no. I was just going to say, like, yeah, I get I get that stuff. But but to coin somebody a, a QB guru, right? Like, yeah, maybe maybe he's he was successful in those situations. And each one of those situations is different, as we as we kind of pointed out with the uh, New England situation with with uh, Randy Moss. But it's it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, he's he's had success and and he's had offensive success. But to name somebody a QB guru, I, I feel like he needs to do more with these guys to to set them up for long term success. My opinion and developing them as a QB, not only in just their offense, but as a, you know, as a quarterback mechanically and, and, you know, with reads and stuff like that. And so, you know, another thing to look, you know, I try to look forward to is, is sustained success effort. But again, a lot of this could be sour grapes from the whole Houston Texan situation. I will admit there's unconscious bias here. Um, and unconscious bias is something that I can't really pick up on. So, you know, if it's there, I'm sorry, but. You know, there's a little bit there. One well, one thing I would add, uh, every one of us. One thing I would add is what you would have to say about Bill O'Brien, even Justin, is that there has been a variety of offenses that he has run throughout yeah. his coaching tenure. Okay, yeah, I think that's going to come in handy this year because although I believe it will be an Ohio State offense slash Ryan Day. What I think is that the smart thing to do with quarterbacks that aren't at the level, I mean, we've now we see what CJ Stroud, you know, is okay. We don't have a CJ Stroud on this roster right now. Maybe Julian Sain gets there someday, okay? But right now, we don't have that. Run the ball, don't turn it over, rely on your defense, hit, you know, timely third down plays. That sounds like a, a Bill O'Brien type of offense to me. Pop a big one every now and then. I don't know. I I I don't think it's going to be a drastically looking different looking offense yeah. next year. But I will. I I, I don't know. I, Jr. I'd ask you this. What I said on the podcast over and over again is that's what Ohio State should do last year. And they it always seemed like Ryan Day got uncomfortable where he wanted to just open it up when I don't believe he should have. And the offense never knew what it was last year. I I felt the identity was either lacking or it was there sometimes and then gone do a do you agree with that and b is that something that you think bill o'brien was brought in to fix a solidified identity yeah i think number one um, a lot of the identity issues came from the fact that ryan day runs an offense where his quarterback does literally everything um you've heard cj stroud i know justin has because he probably listens to cj stroud talk about it uh where he's like hey when i'm at the texans it's actually easier here because i'm not asked to do as much i'm not asked to make wow. every pre-snap read i'm not asked to do all this. i mean and i i just don't think ryan day one trusted kyle mccord enough and two i don't I think he was giving Kyle McCord too much at times. Um, Agree. I don't think Kyle McCord is as bad as some people say. Uh, I don't think he's a bad quarterback. I just don't think he was the right fit for Ryan Day. Uh, If you go read some of my tweets, you might say, John, you were a little bit harsher on uh, Kyle McCord than that. And I was a little bit, but we also lost to Michigan and I have emotions. Sue me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know, Um, but yeah, so I think number one that and then number two, um, you know, I think Bill O'Brien does come in to give them a little bit more of that play calling and stuff like you talked about, um, that, that he is able to take 
some of it off of Ryan Day. Uh, from everything we've heard is Ryan Day is still going to have his offense, which I appreciate because I think Ryan Day has a really good offense. Uh, but this is going to allow time for Bill O'Brien to work with the quarterbacks more one-on-one. Um, and I, this is purely speculation on my part. This is an opinion. I don't have any insider knowledge on this. But, um, you know, Ryan Day had a quarterbacks coach who didn't have a long history in Corey Dennis of being a quarterback's coach. And so how much did Ryan Day also trust Corey Dennis working with these guys? Um, I feel like bringing somebody in who's worked with quarterbacks for a long, long time, and like I said, has had success, at least with those quarterbacks in his system, um, to be able to work well, um, you know, gives Ryan Day a little bit more ease to be able to go and work with the rest of the team, make relationships elsewhere, kind of like what Eli Drinkowitz was saying before the bowl game where he was going on and on and on about how, you know, a weight has been lifted off of his shoulders now that he's not play calling and doing all these things. So um, I do want to reiterate, I don't think that this is a great hire. I think this is a good hire. Yeah. I do think there were, there were, you know, other guys who had been great, but I also think those were long shot hires to begin yeah. with. Um, I'll agree with I, that. I just want to play devil's advocate a little bit, but you know the the experience can't be understated, like Jeffrey said. And then just having a guy that has that much NFL experience is a lot of recruits gravitate towards that. They like guys who've been in the league, know what it takes to get there. So, yeah, exactly. So, all right, let's go through a few comments really fast, and then we'll move on to Iowa. We have Vols fanatics here. Oh, look at that! An SEC show coming into the Big Ten. Thank you. Appreciate that. Hope you guys learned something about. Uh, the Big Ten, quality stuff right here. Appreciate that. Sonny, his p- tenure at Penn State was the best coaching job I've go. ever seen. I, I, I agree. I think it was. I'd have to I'd have to think. Yeah, I don't know about ever, but it was, um, it was a maybe really good at Penn job. State. Oh, maybe at Penn State. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Will Rogers staying at Washington per, per Pete's mouth? That's huge. Uh, good yeah. information there. <laughs> um. Jim, you guys are missing the main thing. Bill O'Brien brings to OSU toughness and an edge that they desperately need. I agree. The the toughness I do think is lacking on offense. I don't think the toughness is lacking on defense anymore. Um, but I think that he will bring more toughness there on the offense. Um, but Scott disagrees. He said, I don't see OSU <laughs> lacking toughness. So again, on the defense, I don't see it lacking toughness on the defense. I can see some areas where it's lacking on the offense. I don't think the receivers block quite as much as maybe other receivers. Uh, but man, we could turn this into an Ohio state show really fast if we wanted to, but it's a big 10 show. So Lou, Lou Holt said they, they act, they don't have enough toughness. Lou Holtz thinks that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to know where Lou Holtz is right. Man, I was so hype when that happened, uh, during that, during that game or after that game. All right. Um, Jeffrey, we have got Caden Proctor going to Iowa. I believe this is the only transfer portal pickup, uh, at least the only one that I'm aware of uh, going on for Iowa right now. And then, of course, the Iowa offensive coordinator job is still open. Uh, Rumors were circulating that Paul Chris was a candidate for a while. He has not taken the job. Uh, Joe Philbin was also a candidate for a while. He is a uh, quality assistant or something like that over Ohio state. Uh, but he has also not taken the job. So I don't know if we're counting those guys out yet, but they don't seem to be rushing to take the job. Uh, Jeffrey, why don't you go ahead and just start on uh Caden uh, Proctor a little bit. What does he bring to this Iowa offensive line? Brings about six foot, seven inches and 360 pounds. Uh, so that's a good place to start. Um, you know, I think the, what I typically take for the approach with recruits is, okay, let's 
you know, we get the commitment first. Great. Uh, let's get it. The actual, let's get him signed first. Right now let's get him in on the campus. Let's see if he's actually good. Let's see if he can stay healthy. Like this is typically my stance. I, I just, it's hard for me to get super excited for recruits until I see it. Okay. It is a little bit different with Proctor because he's got a whole year under his belt at Alabama in the SEC. He struggled at first for sure, but I have read into how much improvement he showed throughout the year uh, last year. And then especially the last four or five games of the year, he really did well. Okay. So it is, it is a safer bet that when he arrives on campus, he will be a very good left tackle. So that it doesn't just help left tackle. It, it really should help almost the entire line at least two or three spots because now we've got a tackle that should be playing guard, playing guard, or our left tackle switching over to right tackle and then him kicking down to guard. It essentially picks up one or two spots, maybe even three on the offensive line to solidify it. So um, I believe that uh, along with better schemes uh, to help out the offensive line so that they're not getting attacked when Seemingly, the defenses have a pretty good idea on what the plays are that are coming up. Uh, so you switch things up with scheme. Suddenly, you've got a twofold reason why the offensive line for Iowa should look better next year. Well, you start talking about scheme. Do you want to hit on the offensive coordinator real fast? Your thoughts on Chris Philbin and who the possible uh, new guy coming in is? Yeah, so like I said, I, I think I know who it is. Uh, I'm going to probably shy away from naming it right now. I'll just do some really stupid hints at it. But I did think it was Joe Philbin at one point. Um, and then I, it, I, you know, all signs pointed to Paul Christ. We will see some days. Someday if some of the details with that are let out on why that went down, it wasn't just as simple as Paul Christ turned it down. He turned it down officially is how I think it went, but there was just a lot of things kind of happening behind the scenes there. Um, So the next guy is going to be somebody that's going to check the marks. I I believe the next guy is going to be somebody that will check the marks that I wanted, which is young-ish guy, okay? Um, Somebody from the college ranks and somebody that has a lot of experience with college quarterbacks. So if it is the guy that I believe it is, he will, he will check those boxes and he has power, tons of power five experience. So um, not in the big 10 to give another hint, but if if that, that Bill O'Brien, we will, we will see if if this guy, if if it is him, if, if Justin gives him the uh, quarterback guru stamp of approval, um, I can guarantee you he's more of a quarterback guru than Brian Ferentz was, um, although a great offensive line coach, Brian Ferentz. Um, um, so I, I believe the schemes will, you know, I, I, I get nervous with making outlandish statements when it comes to the Iowa offense. I, I, I shockingly was hoping for the 99th ranked offense going into last year. How foolish that, you know, the thought process was, but, but it, it, it should look different. Okay. There is going to be different schemes. For the most part, the the blocking schemes for 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 running the ball downhill were mostly fine. We switched from a lot of zone to a lot of pin and pull last year, and we saw a lot of success with that. But it's only it's going to be limited with the schemes and quarterback that we were rolling out there for the throw game. I think we will see, you know, 
an improvement on both sides or on, on both quarterback and play calling with that. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the offensive coordinator position under Kirk Ferentz is a special one because Kirk Ferentz obviously has his way that he wants his team to be run, which has worked out for him. Uh, he's, you know, he's the longest tenured FBS coach, I think, um, active right now. So obviously he's been doing something right there. Um, and <clears throat> it's not always a sexy offense. It's not always something that, you know, is going to drop your, your mouth, but guess what? He made it to the Big Ten Championship last game, last year. I mean, the guy wins games and he has a formula to do it. Um, and sometimes you just have to think, you know, if Kirk Ferentz is taking a while on this, he's obviously doing his homework, making sure not only he finds a good offensive mind, but one that is willing to work with him and uh, make the right decisions. We have a comment here from Jim. He has a guest, Kevin Johns, formerly from Duke will likely be the new OC he believes. So I don't I, we'll I swear that. Jim doesn't have a doesn't have a job. Um but this this <laughs> is the offensive coordinator this is the offensive coordinator that I was alluding to just now. So wow. Wow Jim. Good guess there. So if that is Jim, we'll give you a uh, proper credit there, man. That's that's a great guess. Uh, and Jeffrey sees for, for the record, I've known this I've known this since this weekend, but I've I've had to sit on it because because you you protect sources, uh, but it, it is not official. But that is the definite leader in the in the clubhouse right now. Of course, yeah, I've had people tell me information before too, and you never want to put those people's names out there because if they're wrong, <laughs> then everybody goes at them. Yep. Um, Justin, we we talked a lot about Caden Proctor and the offensive coordinator position stuff like that. What are your uh, overarching thoughts on Proctor and the uh, offensive coordinator that could come in? Yeah, um, I'll start with Proctor. Um, You know, Jeffrey is more in tune with uh, the the OC stuff than I am, so I'll let him uh, kind of give his stamp on that. But uh, with with Caden Proctor, you know, um, it was one of those things where it's a weird situation where he was recruited by Iowa, and then you know, kind of the the fans kind of turned on him, and then you know he's he's coming back, so. Like like Jeffrey talked about, he's a he's a mountain of a human being. That is the first thing you notice about him is just just a huge huge uh, guy, um, a first round you know level talent. And um, to Jeffrey's point, you know, looking over his PFF grades, he he did you know play his best in the biggest moments. Um, his overall grade sixty six point three, a better run blocker than he is a pass blocker, which will probably serve him you know serve him well there. But, you know, he he developed his pass blocking, especially over the course of the season. His best game, believe it or not, was against Georgia in the SEC title game. Where he had a, you know, his overall grade normally is a 66.3, um, and his pass block grade is a 58. But against Georgia, 78.4 overall, 74.6 run block, 79.2 pass block. Actually passed block much better in that game. And uh, his best games were against Georgia, LSU, Tennessee, and Michigan was actually his fifth best game. And, and, and a game where the offensive line there didn't – perform very well and that was his fifth best game and it was a solid game by him overall um so you know i you know caden proctor just fits you know the type of five-star recruit i see iowa getting you know this big offensive lineman to come in and just kind of set the tone in the battle of the trenches and yeah it's going to be it's going to be a massive get for them and um yeah i i think you know over the course of his development in the in the middle of the season and it's it's the thing is about offensive linemen is you know they don't develop extremely quickly so to see that over the course of the season was was actually really impressive and and um, I think he'll take a big leap between uh, last year and and this coming year in Iowa so 
Yeah, I mean, you yeah, don't if see... I can. Go ahead. Yeah, if I can to to just add on to what Justin said there, I think at one point Brian Bulaga was the only starting left tackle as a true freshman at Iowa ever. Um, that's somewhat recent, you know. I mean, that's like what yeah. 10, 12 years ago, something like that. Like that to, the point I'm trying to make is it's rare, right? For a left yeah. tackle to start as a true freshman. Um, so him to go down there to 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 Alabama, which obviously, you know, has been the 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 career route for college football very quickly start and and they stuck with them you know and maybe yeah. part of that was because the Alabama the Alabama offensive line need, needed him to be there it had kind of gotten beat up a little bit towards the end there but I do think that that you know said heavily that they believed in the talent and then it showed out by the end of the year because it's it, you you brought up a great point it's tough that is a tough position for young guys, because it is so technical. I mean, it is yeah. so technical. Hand placement, feet, everything like that. Like it is, it is drilled over and over. This is me looking from practice. I never played offensive line, to be clear. Um, yeah. But so th- th- you're bringing up excellent points, and it, it, he seemed to get a lot better. You know, plug and play. I always get nervous saying that, but he's about as close to plug and play for for Iowa as you can get. Agreed. Yeah, and I mean, uh, whenever you go into the SEC and do literally one of the most difficult things in college football, which in my mind is to start at tackle as a true freshman, you know, I mean, like you said, there are just so many things that go into playing offensive line and, um, you know, not just, you know, having the technique and stuff like that, but having the feel for it and the speed at which guys are going. And uh, I, I just look at it and I say, in Ohio State, one of the guy. And I say, you know, if he went to Ohio State, he would have been the most impactful guy to go in to that uh, transfer transfer class for me because, I mean, this is a guy with experience that uh, if you get a good left tackle, that can change your offensive line. You don't have to help as sure. much with him. You don't have to chip block and do those do those some kind of things. You know, you can leave a guy out there on an island, and it's almost as invaluable as a cornerback who you can leave out on an island consistently, uh, especially with some of the best wide receivers out there as well. So, um, and I like the point you made, Justin. He he did struggle a little bit more in pass blocking than he did run blocking. And one of the reasons he's a really good run blocker is because man, he he is a big boy. Uh, you know. What what'd you say, Jeffrey? 360, 350 or something like that? I mean seven. Yeah. Yeah. Big guy. And he'll he'll really be able to help out in that area. Justin, did you did you have any thoughts on who Iowa should be looking for in their offensive coordinator and Kirk Ferentz hiring one or anything like that before you move mm-hmm. on? Not nothing crazy. You know, I was just kind of like listening to some speculation on and and some of the NFL guys, it just doesn't seem like it's going to be any of those. Uh, some of the NFL names I'd heard Brian Johnson, Frank Reich, Pete Carmichael. So, um, but you know, don't, don't necessarily, uh, I was just kind of like, kind of, uh, listen to some Iowa content, put, getting the feelers out and see what, what kind of they were saying, but you know, not a ton of knowledge inside of it. Um, but very, very interested to see because naturally it's going to, uh, going to affect us in uh in many ways so and you know it's it's not official yet with the offensive coordinator there's just kind of a leader in the house type yeah. of deal um and then you know i'd be remiss if i didn't bring up you know phil parker defensive coordinator lavar woods special teams coach these are the reasons why iowa has had success you know the last yeah. two three years um and when you and uh jer when you asked me earlier about you know, lack of transfer portal activity. Certainly 
not having the offensive coordinator is going to limit your ability to bring in offensive players. Okay. I mean, I think Caden Proctor was a little bit special with that. Maybe he had a little bit of knowledge uh, on the offensive coordinator, who knows, but um, the, the, what the NIL has already morphed into doing now, just a couple years into this thing is retention of, of, of players coming back. That was what the Iowa coaches and Tyler Barnes did a great job with, along with Caden Proctor, what was focusing on bringing guys back. And we don't have the entire defense back because unfortunately Cooper DeGene is going to take that NFL bag a little bit too enticing for him. But outside of that, uh, All-American you know, linebacker, mo- almost our entire D-line except for one guy that was a super senior. So those guys got recruited back onto the roster to a defense that was extremely good last year. So that was what the focus was. Now you hopefully get the quarter or uh, uh, offensive coordinator into place. And wow, what would this look like if Iowa's defense and special teams looked a lot like it did? It has the last five years, but we actually have a confident offense. Color me excited that we might actually get to start figuring that out here next year. Maybe well, one day. Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. Justin. Go no, ahead. I was going to say maybe one day you can bring in a five-star quarterback. I can <laughs> say that now. I, I can only, I had to wait until this season to say that. I'm just right. kidding. Y'all beat us. Y'all beat us. No. We'll get bragging. So that's a, go ahead. That's thing. Now I was just going to say, um, you know, one of the biggest things is, is Cade McNamara coming back. I mean, you know, give all, give all the credit in the world to Deacon Hill coming in and, and doing yeah. what he did. You know, obviously he won a good amount of games when he was a starter, but, um, Cade McNamara, I mean, he's the type of guy that you want at Iowa, you know, doesn't turn the ball over a lot. He's not going to try and make, you know, a bunch of super special plays because he's going to understand that, you know, this is a defensive led team. This is a special teams led team. And, uh, you know, as long as they bring in an offensive coordinator who is is going to make sure that the offense does their job, doesn't turn the ball over too much, and is able to run the ball. That I mean, that's the most important thing. And so, if Kirk Ferentz can get this offensive coordinator hire right, um, Iowa, I will be choosing them to finish over USC in the Big Ten because I I firmly believe that Iowa is a better football program, has better coaching all around uh, on their on their team than you know usc does um i think usc has a lot of hype and you know good for them but uh they're also going to be in for a bit of a rude awakening when they come to the big 10 because all these teams want to talk about oh big 10 west whatever else but we'll see. uh it, we'll see. when you get knocked into it it's a uh, it's uh, a and, and as a as a side note to that i heard that all but one guy in the in washington's entire two deep offense is not on the roster starting this spring Oh my gosh. They've either graduated NIL. I mean, new coach, new everybody at Washington. I don't have a ton of faith in UCLA. So looking at you, Oregon. Listen, that transition, Scott Frost came over from the Pac-12 and said the Big Ten was going to have to adjust to him. And, uh, you know, we saw Michigan, Washington, the top of the top from each play out. And so, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a rude awakening for, I think, a lot of these Pac-12 teams coming over. I, I agree. Uh, all right, let's move on to the next one. Nebraska with some big coaching moves and, or a big coaching move and big time recruits and transfer portal guys coming in. Uh, Justin, I got you this shirt. I hope that you like it. Let's um. <laughs> go, baby. That's like five time off season champions, if not more. 
I've seen this shirt like, oops, uh, I've seen that shirt like four or five years in a row. And so I saw it and I was like, I got to put it in there real fast. It's been our, it's been our rally cry for the last few years. You know, we go into every off season with excited, you know, I do the best numbers on the channel in the off season. So (laughs) fun time. That's great. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so obviously the big additions are Glenn Thomas, the uh, former assistant over with the Steelers, is now going to be the quarterback coach for Nebraska, and Dylan Raiola going to be coming in, and um, you you know just a huge piece to that offense. Uh, Five star was formerly the number one recruit in the country. He slipped a little bit, but I mean this was still a guy who was awesome at Elite Eleven and has put up really cool, good stats wherever he's been in Mm -hmm. high school. He's been like two or three different locations uh, and just done really well wherever he's been. So. Uh, Justin, are there some more in-depth moves or anything you want to mention? Yeah, and first off, I'm not sure why Raiola slipped at all. I mean, he played a uh, step up in talent in Buford, Georgia, and had 33 touchdowns and one interception. So, you know, but anyways, these recruiting services, you never know. But yeah, um, you know, big, big time transfer class, not in terms of numbers, but in terms of uh, immediate impact. Uh, the thing about Nebraska's numbers right now is we're way over. Uh, you know, 85 is the limit. We're at about uh, probably 105, 110, if not more. And so the way that they were going to have to navigate this class was going to be go get guys that have to come in and and be instant impact in the transfer portal. And so more recently, they've been really, you know, hammered down on that. Not only that, they've landed the the main targets that they wanted to get. So coming off of last season, you you're looking at you know, the offense as it was, and it was going to be hard to recruit skill position players to this team. You know, looking at that offense, it's not really inviting for for guys who want to go to the league to come and play in this offense with the with the quarterback room that we had there. Um, you know, so they went out and first got a guy like, you know, first on Dante Dowdle from Oregon, was a true freshman there, was a top 10 back in the 2023 class, um, average over five yards per carry there in, in a very small sample size. So going back to his high school film though, and watching it, you know, very physical at the point of attack, you know, he's a big guy who can get in there and run the Satterfield style of play where he likes to get big. He likes to get physical and establish that run game and open up the deep pass, which is where Raiola comes in. And then also the receivers to open that up. Um, What Nebraska really lacked last year was the deep ball. And Satterfield does like to, what does like to use the deep ball in his offenses. And um, you know, it was the, quarterback ability to get that out there you know Harburg didn't really have it. one of his biggest knocks his entire career has been his deep ball accuracy struggled there so um and just didn't have the weapons you know we're down to a lot of true freshman receivers Malachi Coleman was a true freshman was going to be our ex until Jamal Banks so what Isaiah Nair brings he was at Wyoming and then of course uh was at Texas most recently but Isaiah Nair had his best seasons at Wyoming and and he's just a playmaker. He's a guy who, you know, he's a big body guy who can go up and get 50, 50 balls. He's got good ball skills, but he's also very, very fast four four forty. 40, um, stretch the field, you know, a lot of deep, you know, touchdowns on his film. Um, and, and what they did at Wyoming, like I said, they just, they, they made it a point and the, his coach mentioned this to just get the ball in his hands as much as possible and let him cook. And so Isaiah Nair was a big guy to get, but we really still needed that X receiver. And that's why Jamal Banks, I think, was I think Jamal Banks cemented Isaiah Nair as a great pickup as opposed to good because Isaiah Nair by himself, I feel like would have had to do too much and we wouldn't have been able to use his strengths. Whereas Jamal Banks can now come in and be that big body, you know, X receiver. He's very physical at the point of, uh, you know, he, he goes up he's aggressive at getting the ball at its high point. Um, maybe needs to refine some some um, route running, but was the top receiver at Wake Forest. You know, Wake Forest just didn't have a good offense, didn't have a good quarterback. 
So, uh, you know, it's it's two of those receivers that are going to come in and immediately be experienced guys that Dylan Ryle can throw the ball to. They're extremely talented guys, and they fit the under-the-radar type of guys that Matt Rule likes to go off. You know, Isaiah Nair tore his ACL, and that's why he didn't really see the field in Texas. Um, he was supposed to come in and compete with Xavier Worthy for the wide receiver one spot, but, you know, in spring got, got tore his ACL and, and, you know, after that couldn't, you know, find his way in that talented receiver room in 2023. So only a Roman reception of 14 yards. But, you know, fully a year removed from the ACLs, clean ACL tear, no other ligaments. So he should be 100% healthy and full go. And, yeah, fits exactly what Rule's looking for. And then, um, yeah, Glenn Thomas, just another one of those guys that Rule likes to bring over that has connections to Rule. He was with him at Temple, with him at Baylor. You know, more recently, he was with him in Pittsburgh. However, you know, Pittsburgh, he wasn't a QB coach. Um, You know, most people have, you know, he was hired on uh, here as a QB coach, co-OC, but he was an offensive analyst at Pittsburgh. So, and and they didn't really have the talent there. So I I feel like people are really knocking him based on that tenure at Pittsburgh and how that QB room played. Um, Because a lot of people were set on Holgerson, Dana Holgerson, which still might happen, but I have, you know, mixed feelings about that. But um, Glenn Thomas, you know, huge resume, work with Matt Ryan. You know, we'll go into a little bit of uh, the JR style stats. Matt Ryan's highest completion percentage was when Glenn Thomas was uh, his QB coach over there. And uh, two of his three Pro Bowls came way, way uh, Glenn Thomas was over there um, as his QB coach and was let go when Dan Quinn took over. And that's when Rule brought him on. So really exciting stuff, man. He's been able to turn these offenses around. Really has worked a lot with Satterfield, worked a lot with Rule, so can can bring a lot of the same messaging. And, and uh, yeah, it's just another one of those guys that Rule just likes to bring bring along with him that he trusts. So, Yeah, I mean, that's huge. And anybody who watched Nebraska last year saw the deficiencies of turnovers and things like that of the quarterback and, you know, how much that stalled out the team because Nebraska had a really good defense last year uh, and and they helped him out in a lot of ways. But it's really hard to play defense when your offense keeps giving the ball away. It wasn't just interceptions, but it was fumbles in a lot of times, too, not just by the running backs, but sometimes by the quarterbacks. Um, Harburg was, you know, an electric runner, but just couldn't seem to hold on to the ball, throwing it or running with it. Yeah. Uh, and that makes that makes a big deal. So, Jeffrey, yeah. your thoughts on uh, Nebraska addressing the QB coach by hiring Glenn Thomas? Any thoughts there? Yeah, overall, I, I would say the biggest, the two biggest offseason uh, developments for Nebraska, obviously Rayola coming in. I mean, that's that's huge. And then Tony White staying too. Yeah, um, it didn't sound like it was a gigantic scare that he was going to uh, take off. I think they got him for another year would be, would be my guess, uh, but but huge. I mean the the work that he did with that Nebraska defense. Don't tell me coaching doesn't matter in the college okay. ranks because it does. Tony White is a perfect example of of that. So then on the other side of the ball, you already kind of touched on it. Jr. is I mean Nebraska ran the ball pretty well last year. Mm-hmm. They couldn't throw the ball. Really, the but the worst part was was the turnovers that, that Jr. talked about. It has to be this year. It's just that looking from the outside, every year I'm told that this is the year that the turnovers are are going to get fixed. Will, will we finally see it this year? I'm not saying I know if we if if it'll happen or not. I I do not know. I know that that has to be number one because we know that Dylan Rayola is is very talented, but. This entire quarterback room, as it's right now, is extremely young, or it's the guy that played last year that we don't really think is a, is a quarterback. So 
you have to lean on the 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 defense get a little bit more from your special teams and then just the fact that there are better players at the wide receiver position we think and then Dylan Rayola but ease him into it you know I don't think this is a Dylan Rayola show right from the get-go unless he's that good okay then then it's it's step on the gas okay typically speaking even some of the best young quarterbacks need a little bit of time to acclimate to Big 10 defenses. So that's the story to me. How will that, you know, transition be keeping the turnovers down so that you can win games as you're learning with your quarterback? It's in, it's always interesting in the offseason for Nebraska and coming in the season this, this is no exception. I agree. Trust me. Um I've drinking the offseason Kool-Aid every single year and every single single offseason I tell myself I'm not going to do it again and I do. So um, that shirt was very fitting. And, and and to your point, Jeffrey, yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like, you know, each year we think the turnovers are going to improve. And it was uh, probably about the worst I've seen it in a long time last year. You know, however, the the only positive sign is I, I do think overall everything around this team that was negative has improved outside of the turnovers and the close losses. Everything that was brought over from the Scott Frost team in terms of the culture the physicality, the the way these guys play for each other, the the closeness of the staff and the team, and I think you know it's it's one of those things where turnovers are one of the things that can be you know coached out of people, and our ball security can be coached to people. And I do think a lot of the turnovers this year were very mental by our quarterbacks too. Um, I do think there the quarterbacks there was a lot of guessing going on with these quarterbacks because I think they were just real tight and tense because they knew that. You know, their job was on the line every single game because the quarterback room in Nebraska was so, you know, they knew that there were there were the problem. And I think over the course of the season, that just started to get to them. You saw Heinrich Harburg play a little bit more tense and not really go on his instincts like he did in the very beginning. And he's just not a he's not a good overall quarterback. He he reminds me of a Taysom Hill type of guy. And and like you said, you know, we got Raiola on the roster, and outside of that, we got another four star in this in this uh you know, class Daniel Kalen coming in, but that's that's really it. And uh, I, I do think it's Raiola's job from the start, but I think the easy early schedule is really a blessing in disguise for us because I think that gives him time to get in there and really, you know, kind of get some of these reps um, because the first six or seven games are, are fairly uh, favorable, should all be, you know, very winnable games for Nebraska. And then the late slate gets a little bit, you know, a lot bit more tough. So, uh, yeah, I think I think the schedule might play to his benefit there, but it's one of those things where he's going to probably be the starter because there's no other, no other really choice to get in there and win games right now, and um, be interesting to see for sure. So Colorado, easy game then. I'm going to that game. Well, we're gonna. Oh man, we're gonna blow Colorado out, man. We ain't playing an altitude this time. <laughs> well, I'm bringing my watch. Uh, I don't wear a watch, but I'm bringing one anyways. Um. Jim, uh, you know, uh, hey, that's Earl right, Carlson Jim. Guy here, Glenn Thomas will bring more toughness than Bill O'Brien doesn't, or than Bill O'Brien and doesn't have a butt chin. That's really what uh, I like him. It's the butt chin. Yeah, what's the hate for the butt chin, guys? All right, everybody's got one, a chin. Some people's looks like a butt. You know, <laughs> it is what it is. Um, all right, great stuff there, guys. Let's go ahead and move on to our final topic. <clears throat> 
Reports indicate that Jim Harbaugh is leaving Michigan. Uh, I would went ahead and just said Jim is leaving because today on Twitter, I even saw like Michigan fans just saying goodbye to him. And that seems to be the way that everything is happening. So if, you know, a week from now, Jim is still not gone, I guess this video will be irrelevant. Who knows? I don't know. But uh, it sure seems to be trending that way. Like I said, I even saw Michigan fans like, saying goodbye to Jim on Twitter. And I feel like once I start seeing that happen, uh, it seems pretty, pretty doggone close that that's going to happen. So uh, he's in very close contract talks with the Chargers. The rumor right now is that he'll also be bringing Jesse Minter and Jay Harbaugh with him over to the Chargers to be the defensive coordinator and the special teams coordinator. Uh, there's also a rumor swirling out there that former Ravens offensive coordinator Greg Roman will be going there with him as well. Obviously, he would have known Greg Roman from uh, his dad, John, or not dad, uh, his brother, John Harbaugh, who uh, had him over with him at the Ravens. Uh, Jeffrey, let's start with you. Um, just open in a question. What was what was your reaction to seeing that Jim Harbaugh is pretty close or already has left Michigan for the Chargers? Not surprised at all. I mean, we'd start hearing these rumors even before they won the national championship, you know, so uh, not a huge surprise. I was holding out a little bit of hope that he would stay. I like Jim Harbaugh. I'm not an Ohio state or Michigan state guy, obviously Ohio state, Michigan state hate Jim Harbaugh with a, you know, white hot intensity of a thousand suns. And I, and I support that, right. That's rivalry. I just get a kick out of the guy. This press conference has cracked me up and I like his brand of football, right? It's defense. It's run the ball down your throat. It's been, I, I, I wish it wasn't Michigan to be honest with you, but I love the style of big 10 football that got crammed right down everybody's throat, including Alabama and the sec and then Washington in the championship game. So I like him not surprising at all. Um, I think what's going to be the most interesting part of this is Michigan fans want Sharon Moore to take over the reins. Is that what the Michigan brass wants? He's a pretty young dude, no head coaching experience. I don't think it's as much of a gimme as Michigan fans think it is. Also, you know, mixed in with that and Sharon Moore, you know, if there are quote unquote sanctions that come down, okay, I I personally believe there won't be. Okay, I, I've seen the ineptitude of the NCAA. I don't think anything will happen of this. I don't think anything should happen of this. Just to tick JR, JR off a little bit more. Okay, um, you've done so, so. great job. <laughs> yep, I, I don't think anything will, will happen. But if there is some sort of fear that it could, then you can't have Sharon Moore, who could you know be a part of this. I would think the officials inside. You know, Michigan know how much of a connection he has. And if there is a connection, is there anything going on? I'm talking in circles, but this is what has to get figured out. If if he's clean, I think he becomes more of a viable candidate. But even if he is clean, to just assume that, that he's the coach, I think, you know, we're not quite there yet. And then the last thing I would add to that is, if it's not Sharon Moore, the 30 day window opens up and we could see a lot of what we just saw happen at Alabama with guys going everywhere. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a two-part conversation here, you know, the the reaction to Jim Harbaugh leaving and then, you know, could there be uh, an Alabama or a Washington situation where there's just this huge exodus of players? And really, it's not fair right now, right? I mean, you know, Alabama, as much as I love seeing their fans, you know, kind of going through it because, you know, they're one of the only fan bases that hasn't had to go through it uh, ever since Nick Saban has got there. Um, but, you know, like... It's not fair that you are losing all of these players and everybody can just kind of pick and choose who they want and and you have no ability to go and get anybody else. Now, obviously, the spring window will be open, but that does limit who can you go get because of, you know, the one-time transfer unless you're a graduate uh, from before and people may have already transferred in the first window. So uh, it's definitely not a situation that you want to be in. I'm curious to see if that will impact the Michigan administration, those kind of people. And there's a decision-making. Um, it really seems like like Jim Harbaugh set it up to be this way. But if some of those rumors are true that the Michigan administration, athletic director, whoever it is that the rumors are, that they don't like Jim Harbaugh, do they go with Jim Harbaugh's wishes? Or do they get a little stubborn and say, you know what? No, we get to choose a new ball coach. We're not going to let this, this guy who went off to the NFL choose a new ball coach here. We're going to go out and get Brian Kelly or, you know, I even heard somebody say PJ Fleck at one point. I don't think that would happen, but who knows? That, that's <laughs> that would be a mistake. Name I heard. Yeah, that's what I think too. Let's, let's going, do it. Going. Let's see how that happens. He's going he was, to roll that boat right out to the middle of the ocean, lost to sea with Minnesota's boat out there. Oh man, he uh, he was our thirteen and fourteen. I was the only one that had any faith. I think I did. I have him thirteen. I think I was the only one. That had no, I had him. Yeah, I had him last. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. Actually, no. I put Purdue's coach last because I Ryan Walsh because I hate him more. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, but had, he had a lot to say about Nebraska this this uh, leading up to our game this year. He don't like us. Yeah, he did. Uh, Justin, your reaction to the news and then just thoughts on Sharon Moore possible exodus that kind of stuff. Yeah, first things first with the Chargers news. I really they they were kind of the the front runners during the whole time. So I think I'm less surprised surprised that it was the Chargers than even him going to the NFL. But like Jeffrey said, it was just kind of you know, written, written in the stars for a while now that, that he was going to the NFL. It's even before the season started, you know, the last few off seasons. But, um, I think it, I think the chargers is a good fit. You know, they got the fifth overall pick, they got a franchise quarterback. So he, you know, he probably sees something there he can build with. And, uh, you know, the staff that he's looking, the names listed on the staff that he was looking to bring over are very good, but with Michigan, you know, it's, it's, there's a little juxtaposed position here where they, you know, the we're talking about the brass and, and whether they want to, you know, grant Harbaugh his wishes and, and Sharon Moore. But I think whatever decision they make there, dude, I, I think if they stick with Sharon Moore, then short term, they're in a much better position. But if they if they go elsewhere, it's going to be a long process probably to turn that over and get it back. But the thing is is do you that shakeup coming into this new Big Ten, you know, it's 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 even more interesting to see how these late coaching staff changes are going to play out and how these, you know, teams are going to get built back up in this what seems to be arm race of the two super conferences now because it's definitely going to look a little different um or a lot different in terms of how that goes. So not only are we going to get to see, you know, what they do next, but we're going to get to see the impact that a coach a significant coaching change has and if they have this max, mass exodus of a uh, roster 
turnover, just how hard it is to be able to build that back in this uh, in this current college football world. So really interested to see because I think I think that Sharon Moore decision is going to be all the difference in how we view this Michigan team the next season or two. So, um, yeah, I, I think Sharon Moore, though, in terms of just for the ease of the transition and, and retaining a lot of the talent that they have, I think Sharon Moore has, you know, I think it makes sense. Yeah, no, I think uh, Sharon Moore makes sense as well. Let's go through a couple comments here. Jim saying good goodbye, Jim. Uh, Jim saying goodbye to Jim. The other Jim. Casual Big Ten. Greet. <laughs> Let's go. Glad you're Love here. Uh, yes, we are too. Uh, Justin Rose, Greg Roman was Jim Harbaugh OC. Yes, actually yep. he was. Uh, yep. 11 to 14, I think, uh, when he was. At, and I think he was at Stanford with him too. I don't know. I'll have to go back and check on that. I think he was with Stanford. Uh, now that I think about that. Uh, and then Jim is also asking, how about David Shaw to Michigan? I, hmm. That's hmm, interesting. Yeah. You guys have any reactions? I would be, I would be happier. I mean, I've heard, you know, um, uh, Notre Dame coach Kelly, no, no chance. Like I, that no. would be a horrible hire to me yeah. uh, to go from a, a coach and Jim Harbaugh that I think had morphed into a really good players coach. I don't think mm-hmm. he was always that way. I think he morphed into that. I think that's part of the reason why you saw the success that you've seen at Michigan. Then to bring in Kelly from Notre Dame, who is a in the Bill O'Brien mode for a hole. I, I think that would be a whole uh, a bad hire. I think David Shaw. I've seen that thrown out there. That that would be open to it. I've heard you know Matt Campbell. Every time one of these big, you know, coaching hires comes out, his name's out there. I don't think he's no, actually going to get that. hired, but I hope he's rumored because I have fun with that every single time. Out, out, outside of that, who who knows? You know, um, I, I I think there's could they pull Dan Lanning over from Oregon? That's another name I've heard. Now I think Dan Lanning is I I think he should stay where he's at. I think he's got that Nike money and and things are good. But the point you you, you make is. All of these names are are on the board. Yeah, they're all on the board. The problem with it is the timing, right? I mean, we mm-hmm. saw this when Ohio State moved on from Jim Tressel in what May. Obviously, this isn't as late as that, but you know, the coaching carousel of hiring a head coach has kind of already surpassed us in a lot of ways. You know, um, even Arizona had to go out and hire the San Jose head coach to be their head coach. I'm not saying that's a bad hire, but you know, normally you try to go with maybe somebody with a little bit more cachet or maybe been in the power five for a little bit before you go out there and do that. So um, it sounds like I'm dogging that higher. I'm not dogging that higher. I'm just saying, you know, that's kind of what can happen uh, when you Mm -hmm. try to hire this late. Um, I think Sharon Moore gets the job. If you know, all this comes to fruition and Jim Harbaugh is moving on. I think Sharon Moore gets the job. Number one, I really think that the players, in there, believe in Sharon Moore. They had, you know, an amazing experience to bond with him those last three games of the season. Uh, those guys who were there for that. I know a lot of guys are moving on, but, um, you know, and Sharon Moore, he liked to use Alex Orgy uh, in those situations um, where he could run the ball and stuff. So he already has a bit of a relationship with him and could move on from there and, and be an impact with him. But I think Sharon Moore makes 
makes the most sense with the timing of it all. Now, if this was happening, like I said, you know, mid-December or something like that, do I think the same thing would happen? No, I think they probably would open it up. But because of the fear of what happened to you, like happening to Alabama and Washington, and because of the timing of not having a whole lot of options at this time, I think you most likely see Sharon Moore be the higher. Do you agree, Justin? Yeah, I agree. And uh, to Jeffrey's point where you mentioned Dan Lanning, I bet you Oregon fans are are really sick of Dan Lanning. 37-year-old Dan Lanning's name being thrown out there for all these positions. They probably, uh, they're probably a little anxious that uh, he might be gone in the next couple seasons. But uh, yeah, I agree. Sharon Moore has got to be the guy, in my opinion. It, it, everything lined up perfectly. You know, he even got to coach some games for certain reasons you know this season and so yeah he's built such a good relationship with that team and those players and you know just just looking at how emotional he was in some of the press conferences or or post games you know you can tell how much he cares and loves that you know loves that team and and I think the players pick up on that so I think he's a guy that they want to play for and hopefully the uh the brass pick up on that because they they aren't always in tune with what the players are are uh are wanting and thinking so yeah, I mean, you know, don't get too caught up in the politics of it all, right? Yeah. If they don't yeah. like Jim Harbaugh, just make the right decision for the team. You know, yeah, it doesn't exactly. matter if Jim Harbaugh was grooming this guy to be the head coach, or if you don't like Jim Harbaugh, just make the best decision for the team. Don't ruin your day, own le- legacy for somebody who's gone. Right, exactly. Um, so, so yeah. Um, I guess this this one just popped in my head. We'll, we'll discuss it really fast, and we'll be done from here. But um, Michigan, I mean, you guys brought up Dan Lanning. I feel like Alabama's probably a better job than Michigan. So if Alabama couldn't get him, I don't think Michigan could. But maybe I'm biased. I know I'm a Buckeye fan, so I'm going to look a little bit more down on them than than uh, maybe some other people. But, I mean, is is Michigan on the same tier, about the same job as Alabama? Is it worse? Is it better? I mean, uh, Jeffrey, you have any thoughts on the uh, the position of head coach at Michigan? What kind of job it is compared to other schools? Um, if if we are if I'm taking the question comparing Michigan to Alabama, um, historically speaking, everybody looks up to Alabama. So so yes, I put Michigan under Alabama, but following the goat, <laughs> yeah, you know, like they say, don't be the guy, be the guy that follows the guy. So like. If I'm looking at, you know, Michigan or Alabama, I, I'd probably go to Michigan because that's good point. keeping those Alabama fans happy. I I think Michigan fans, they're new to this national championship situation. I think most Michigan fans understand it took a three, four year build for them to get to the point where they can win the national championship. And they know 80 percent of the guys that were involved with that are gone now. Right. So I think Michigan fans have a little bit more you know, context here to understand that they're probably not going to win the national championship again next year. Alabama fans think they're winning it again. You know, they can't believe they haven't won it in two, three years, whatever it's been for them. So that plays into it to me. Maybe it played into it to Dan Lanning. I I, I don't know. That's a good point. I didn't think of that. What do you think, Justin? Yeah, Jeffrey kind of took the words out of my mouth. It was one of those things where it's like you look at you look at the programs, right? You can you can definitely probably put Alabama ahead of Michigan in, in recent years, but you know, the the coaching positions themselves, you know, looking at from the outside looking in, if you're Dan Lanning from the Alabama position, like he said, he's kind of going out near the like uh, on top almost. Um, you know, it was a shock that he was you know retiring and stuff like that. And then you on the other end, you have Michigan with all these, you know, you know this black cloud over him in regards to the scandal and stuff like that. And then also you know following Jim Harbaugh who. 
you know, wasn't always beloved in Michigan, you know, came on, you know, in the, in the last three years and, and really turned it up and became, you know, somebody, well, last year, really most of the fan base joined on, but in the even a previous couple of years just started to kind of trend the right direction for Michigan. Um, but it's not that long tenure of success that he'd have to follow up um, to the, to the, to level of Saban. And it's just, it's one of those things where it's like the, the overall coaching and how people are going to look back on this, you know, depends on the sanctions. And if Dan Lanning could come in and win with this Michigan team, you know, and, and not have, that black cloud over him, you know, he could come out looking better than, than Harbaugh did. So it's one of the positions where Michigan, he can be seen as successful and maybe, you know, be seen as an, as an improvement compared to what they had, but in Alabama, you ain't doing that. So. Yeah. Never going to be better than the goat. That's for sure. Yep. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, you guys got any more thoughts on Michigan or anything like that before we get out of here? No, sir. All right. Good deal. Uh, thank you so much, Jeffrey, for coming on. And thank you so much, Justin, for coming on. Appreciate both of you guys. We will uh, be back next Tuesday to talk more football. Uh, Sunday night, Wednesday night, reserved for basketball right now. So we will have a basketball episode tomorrow night. If you're into that kind of thing, if you're not, you're football only. Check back in with us next Tuesday at 9 o'clock. Uh, there were some games going on tonight. We'll talk about those. Did Ohio State play tonight? They did, and they lost, hmm. and it was depressing. So, oh, okay. You know, yeah. I, I have, oh, I have yeah. my emotions ready for this. All the people, no, I, it's become a thing. There are people who just genuinely like me being depressed about Ohio State <laughs> basketball. Um, I'm a Nebraska fan. I don't want to hear depression about basketball. Nebraska We're the worst kicked our butt tonight. One. We're the worst Division One program like in history. 0-7 all-time in the tournament, okay? Thank you. You've made me feel <laughs> even better about getting blown by Nebraska. We're good tonight. this year. Yeah. yeah. We're good this Rank year. Mass destroyed us. Um Anyway, uh, so if you want more depressing JR with uh, his basketball takes about Ohio State, tune in tomorrow night at 9 o'clock. So thanks so much, guys, for coming on. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great night.